Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Morning, guys. Good to see you all out. A uh, couple of new faces, couple of, uh, lots of familiar faces, but uh, always good to see everyone out on a Sunday morning. Um, Kate, I presume you ran the Shamrock Shuffle this morning? Very good. Good job. Well done. Outstanding. Were you the fa- you are you were the fastest? Yes, you obviously took a detour and ran straight here. So, <laughs> um, just uh, before we get into the sermon, just to reiterate um, the Ephesians four ministry that's happening next week. Um, it's not teaching on Ephesians four. It's uh, it's the Ephesians four gifts that we believe um, are operational in the church. If you're not sure about what that is, I encourage you to uh, listen to the sermon from last Sunday, where I spoke a little bit about Ephesians four ministry, and then also on our website, there's tons of information about the partnership that we have with an apostolic prophetic team called New Covenant Ministries. That we welcome these prophetic, apostolic, pastoral teaching and evangelistic gifts into the church. And uh, they are really a, an important time for us to grow as a body. Uh, next week, Ashley Bell and his wife Nadine are coming in from South Africa. Uh, they lead a church that has been um, uh, uh, planting churches into the nations for about 35 years. I, I think at last count, they've planted about 40 churches into the nations. And they've resourced hundreds and hundreds of others. They haven't necessarily planted those, but they've, they've released giftings. They've released finances. And, and uh, just a wonderful example of what it means to be a base church. And uh, we're going to be talking around those kinds of things next week. So come along. I encourage you to prioritize that time if you can. All right, let's turn, if we, uh, if, as Chris said, we are continuing our Ephesians series. So um, if we can make our way to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking at the second half of chapter 4 this morning, verse 17, all the way through to the end of the chapter, verse 32. Um, I thought I'd introduce my sermon this morning, um, since it is March Madness, since it is the NCAA tournament, I thought I'd introduce my sermon this morning with a, an interesting story that I've been following over the last uh, few weeks. Um, how many of you know that when celebrities exchanged uh, uh, sort of Twitter uh, messages with general people, generally good things don't come of that? And I've been following an interesting Twitter exchange between a celebrity, a guy by the name of Roddy White, who is an NFL wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, he's a, a, big Duke, a big Duke fan. They are ranked in the top, I think the top 10 in the country. And he got into this Twitter exchange with a fan from Mercer, um, I even had to look online where Mercer was, and uh, they're apparently down in Georgia, and ranked in uh, about 83 or 84 in the nation. So the first round of the NCAA tournament pitted Duke Blue Devils against the Mercer, I don't even know who the Mercer, uh, what their emblem is. And uh, so this exchange started happening, and this one fan was saying to Roddy White, there's no way that Duke are going to win. And then, uh, Kelly, if you can just put the Twitter feed, uh, this, was, um, this was his response. This was Roddy White's response. Um, if Mercer beat Duke, I will give you season tickets at the 50-yard line, first row. And then he made the fateful mistake of pushing the send button. Because if you've been following the tournament, you'll know that Mercer did, in fact, beat Duke. And uh, Roddy White then backed out of his commitment. And the press went crazy. There is, world, there is uh, 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 people starving in Africa, but the press go mad over the fact that Roddy White backed out of his, uh, out, out of his commitment. And long story short, eventually he realized the error of his ways. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've pushed send on a text or a Facebook message or a tweet or an email that you shouldn't have sent. 
I know, unfortunately, I've, I've done that all too often, where I've been involved in a conversation over Twitter and the conversation, or uh, involved in a conversation over text or email, and I respond in the way that I shouldn't. And I, as I press that send button, I want to just say, no, I wish I, could, wish I could take it back. Sometimes even worse than sending an email or sending a text is when you're engaging in someone in conversation or you're talking about someone and you suddenly hear those words coming out of your mouth that you wish you hadn't said. And I I know all too well my shortcomings. I know all too well the things that I say and the things that I do don't always honor God. And I've been asking myself recently, how do I change? How can I become more like Jesus? How can I not say those things that I regret or think those things that frustrate me? Why sometimes do do I say sorry and then find myself doing the same thing a week later? Well, this is some of the things that we're going to be speaking about this morning, and I want to bring your attention just initially to three verses in chapter 4, verse 22 to 24, and this is going to be the crux of answering these questions on how we can become more like Jesus. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is an incredible book that we've been studying, this book of Ephesians, and, and we've been taking our time to, to really lay the foundation in chapters 1, 2, and 3. If you've been following the, the series with us, you'll remember that Paul has, has instructed us on the incredible truth of who we are in Jesus, the fact that we are uh, these citizens of heaven. This is a, as a consequence of what God has done for us. And in and, and the first three chapters, not only did Paul instruct us on this great teaching and truth, but Paul also prayed for us and encourages us to pray for ourselves and for one another that the truth that he's been teaching in the first three chapters wouldn't just reside in our heads, but it would make the the journey down from our heads into our hearts. And I mentioned last week the incredible importance whenever we tackle biblical truth, that we don't just tackle the do's and don'ts, but we've got to get to grips as to the the reality of what God has done for us and then ask him to to allow that truth to, to resonate and radiate and take up residence in our hearts. That's where change begins to happen. And, and last week, we, we noticed this incredible transition in this journey, in this book that we've been studying. No longer instruction, but now Paul is exhorting us to respond. You'll look at, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, and it doesn't do it in the NIV, but in your translations, most likely it does. It starts with the word, therefore. Paul is, Paul is transitioning his teaching from, from instruction to exhortation. And he's not taking it for granted that we are going to respond to truth. This is something that we need to do. But I want to say this. We don't rush to chapter 4. We don't rush to chapter 4. We don't rush to, the, to what, a, what could appear to be lists of do's and don'ts. Because that's when we start to embrace this legalistic lifestyle or this legalistic response to Scripture. And we start to look to, to external supervisors to, to be our conscience for us, whether it's the desire to be accepted or whether it's the desire to perform a certain way or, or we come under controlling leadership. God's heart is never for that to happen. God's heart is, is for His love to lead us to repentance and for the grace of God to teach us to say no to ungodliness. It's something that happens within us. 
and it works its way out. That's always God's plan and that's always God's pattern. And you'll notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, this, this exhortation that Paul gives us. He says that we are to walk worthy or to live worthy of the calling that we have received in him. And I said last week, friends, that this calling is not so much our individualistic calling, this what is my calling in God, but it's this calling that we have together as God's people to, to, to be knitted together, to be, to be joined together, to form a temple in which God can dwell by his spirit. And last week we spoke about unity. We spoke about church unity. The key verse that we looked at was uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that says that we will in all things, we together will in all things grow up into him who is the head, even Jesus Christ. That was last week's message, unity. This week, the call is the same, to walk worthy of the call we've received, but not unity. Paul's not focusing on unity this time. We're now going to be focusing on purity. How can we be like Jesus? How can, we, how can we do the things that I was saying in the beginning? How can we not say those words that we so regret to say? How can we not think those things that we, we hate, hate it when we think? Or how can we not do those things that dishonor God? And in the few verses that we've looked at, just look, if you can gaze your eyes on those verses, you'll notice three very simple things Paul says. He says, put off the old self, put on the new self, and the way you do that is by changing your thinking. Put off your old self, put on your new self, and you do that by changing your thinking. And that's kind of the overview of what we're going to be looking at this morning. How do we put on the old self? Uh, sorry, how do we put off the old self? How do we put on the new self? And how do we, what does it mean to, to renew our thinking? What does it mean to renew our minds? What does it mean to change our attitudes? My wife loves to tell our children, uh, find your happy heart, uh, change your attitude. And, and, and it's, it would be unfair of her to ask our children to change the attitude if it was not possible for them to change their attitude. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Friends, if it's not possible for us to bring our attitude in line with God's attitude, then it's not fair for the scriptures to ask us of that. So we're going to speak a little bit this morning as to how do we change our thinking and how do we change our attitude. Who is this old self that Paul speaks about? What does he or she look like? Well, quite simply, the old self is who you and I were before we knew Jesus Christ. It's who you and I were, the identity, our our, our very essence, who we were before we knew Jesus. But very importantly, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 6 that this old self, this old person is now dead. He's been crucified. He or she's been crucified with Jesus. Listen to Romans chapter 6 verse 6. He says this, for we know that our old self was crucified. It's a definitive moment in history, friends. Paul does not write, our old self is being crucified. He doesn't say, our old self is becoming more and more dead. No, our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is, if this old self is dead then why does Paul take the time in verse 17 through 19, and we're going to look at those verses now, why does Paul take the time to explain who this old self is? Well, the reason is this, is I think we have an incredible habit, a bad habit as Christians, as, and the bad habit is this, we, 
we often become or we often long to be or we often find ourselves becoming the people that we once were. We, we've got bad habits and bad practices and we, we somehow embrace or, or live out or still think the way we used to think before we knew Jesus. I found out this week that $7 billion a year is spent on Americans dressing up like dead people at Halloween. $7 billion a year. And I, and I realized that, that Christians do it all the time, spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, friends, as Christians, we dress up like the old man that we once were. When Paul is saying we need to put off those things, we need to remove those things, that's not who we were. And so Paul explains who, uh, who this, this old self is or what this old self looks like. Read with me verse 17 through 19. So I tell you this, Paul says, and I insist on it. Listen to his intensity. I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. The Gentiles, he's just using a, a catch-all phrase to describe the people who are far from God, who are not in Jesus. Um, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. And I want to just ask you to listen carefully as we quickly unpack those uh, few verses because even though this describes who we once were, let me tell you, there are some patterns or habits that we still carry into this new life in Jesus. Paul says that the reason why the Gentiles live the way that they do is, look in verse 17, because of the futility of their thinking. And this is a very important point because it really captures the heart of what Paul's trying to communicate later on. This important point, the way we think is the way we behave. What we believe will determine our behavior. And Paul is saying because their hearts have been, been, been are, are, are absent or separated from God, their thinking is, is futile. And he begins to characterize what that futile thinking looks like, how it manifests in a way of life. Jesus says the same thing in Luke chapter 6, doesn't he? He says right at the end of Luke 6, he says, uh, so, so it is in someone's, in, in someone's heart, the mouth will speak. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And that word overflow simply means what you fill your heart with, your, your likes and dislikes, the things that you love to fill your heart with. That's how it, that, that will be reflected in the things you say and the, things that you, and the way that you live. And so what Paul is showing us in verse 18 and 19, he's going to just very quickly show us what this futile thinking produces. What are the characteristics of, of futile thinking or a heart that is, that is separated from Jesus? And he mentions firstly that our understanding will be darkened. That we have this inability to, to grasp spiritual truths. Friends, grasping, uh, walking with God, walking with Jesus, we've said this so often from the pulpit, is not about theology per se. It's about experiencing God. Remember that illustration I used a few weeks ago, and I don't want to get into this again, but, but theology or what we believe uh, to the Christian is like a map is to the city. The map shows you how the city joins together, but you don't experience the city through the map. And it's the same with theology. Theology is vital and important. It shows us how the truths of God's word are joined together. 
But it's not the Christian life. The Christian life is experiencing God. And if our, heart, if our understanding is darkened, we don't get this ability or this, the, the, the Spirit doesn't, can't come and cause the truths of God's Word to come alive. In Africa, where we uh, are from, uh, the, the contrast of, of education levels was, was far more uh, vast than it is here in Chicago. We had probably 40% of our church was completely illiterate, could not read. And there were times when I or others would preach. And after, after giving a sermon, after presenting God's word, we'd have people, educated people, come and argue over little interpretations or Bible verses that we may have interpreted incorrectly, but completely missed the truth of God's word. And then that same day, we'd have these illiterate people come up to us and say, thank you, Steve, for sharing the word. I got what God was saying. It's because their hearts were not darkened. Secondly, second characteristic is a life separated from God. It, we, 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 we separated from the very one who, who is life and who, who gives life. And I think this is a reference back to Ephesians chapter 2 in the first three verses where Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions before we knew Jesus. Sometimes some of you sit here and you think, you know, I don't have a very uh, a radical salvation story. I didn't drink and I didn't do drugs and I didn't sleep around and I didn't have this kind of radical transformation experience where I, I, I was a terrible sinner and now I'm a, a born-again believer. I want to say, friends, no matter how you came to know Jesus, every single one of us has had a radical salvation story because we were once dead. And now we're alive. That's the truth of, of, of what God has done in our hearts. The third thing, and perhaps most importantly, the third thing that Paul mentions is that we become ignorant of God's will and God's way because of a hardened heart. Because our hearts become hard. And that, that word um, hardened heart in the Greek, can actually spe- it actually speaks of two things. It speaks of a masonry or a building term. And it, speaks, it, it describes a rock that is harder than marble. A stone that is harder than marble. And sometimes that's what can happen to our hearts. The other application or the other way that this word in the Greek can be used can speak of a calcification on a joint or a bone. And forgive me, Ashley, I I don't want to butcher the medical profession, but give me a bit of uh, poetic license if you wouldn't mind. But sometimes calcification can take place and just not every now and then, Ashley, to let me know I'm on the right track. Sometimes calcification can take place on a joint and that, that joint becomes hardened. It becomes inflexible. And it starts to lose sensitivity. Pretty good? All right, that's good, good enough for this preaching illustration. Because friends, that's sometimes what happens to our hearts if we're not careful. If our hearts become calcified, if our hearts become hardened, sometimes they become inflexible and become insensitive to the voice and the gentle moving of the Holy Spirit. The wonderful truth of the gospel. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news is that God doesn't come to make our old heart new. God comes to remove our hard heart and give us a heart of flesh. He takes out the hardness that is in our heart and he gives us an entirely new heart. And he goes on to say that he even puts a spirit in us. And with this new heart, friends, this new heart that is not hardened, We're called to, what does Proverbs say? Proverbs 4, we're called to guard our hearts above all else, above everything else. Guard our hearts because it is the wellspring of life. And then finally, Paul says that um, we are given over, if we're not careful, given over to the sensuality and the continual lust for more. That's not necessarily just speaking of sexual sin, but it's speaking of a licentious lifestyle, of a shameless lifestyle. 
And notice the phrase there that Paul says that you are given over to this. Friends, we must uh, 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 deal with the, with, the, with the error of thinking if anyone thinks that we sin just because. Sin doesn't happen in a vacuum. Sin happens because of what we give ourselves over to. I was reading um, Exodus, I think it's 33 or 34, the story of Aaron and the golden calf. I'm sure most of you are familiar with that story. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and and the Lord sends him back because the Israelites are are running wild and and, and they've gathered their gold and they've thrown the gold into the fire and to mold it into a golden calf. And Moses challenges Aaron. He says, what happened? And I love Aaron's response in a very, not a love as in I support it, but I love his ingenuity in coming up with his answer. He says, he says, no, we just gathered gold and we threw it into the fire and out popped this golden calf. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's, but sometimes that's what we think when we sin. Oh, you know, it, I just couldn't help myself. I mean, it just, it, this thing overcame me. No, friends, it depends on what we give ourselves over to. And as we're going to see, if we give ourselves over to the Lord, that's how our minds are renewed and we can put on the old self. But look at verse 20 and 21. There's good news. This is not us. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is not you. We don't think this way. We don't have to behave this way. We don't have to wear those Halloween grave clothes that, 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 that we so sometimes love to do. Verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you, you heard of him. It actually in the Greek says, you learnt Christ. It doesn't even have, you learnt about Christ or you learnt of Christ. It simply says, you learnt Christ. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is not only the truth, Jesus is the teacher. You learnt Christ, it says. Surely you learnt Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So what are we to do? Well, verse 22, 23 and 24 tell us, that we are to, to put off the old self. And we're called to put on the new. We're called to, to remove these, as I said, these Halloween clothes that we wear. That, that great story of Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb. He called him out of the tomb. Lazarus, Lazarus came to life. He walked out of the tomb. And what was the very next command that Jesus gave the people around him? Take off the grave clothes. And friends, some of us are sitting here, we are born again, uh, children of God, but we're living with grave clothes from our past. We're living, dressing up like people from our past. We need to remove those grave clothes. We need to remove the clothes from the old man. The Bible says we've been clothed in robes of righteousness. We have garments of joy and salvation that the Lord has given us to wear. Galatians even says that we are to clothe ourselves in Jesus. We can put Jesus on every morning. We can clothe ourselves in him. That's what he is saying. Look at verse 22, just to reinforce it. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in in true righteousness and and holiness. The old self was dead. Remember. And, and, and the new self has been made alive in Christ. Remember Ephesians chapter 4 verse, verse 3. But God, because of his kindness or because of his grace, even though we were dead, made us alive in Jesus. That's the incredible truth, friends. 
The story is told of uh, St. Augustine, um, who was an early church father, who apparently was incredibly promiscuous and loved prostitutes before he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the story is told that soon after his salvation, he was walking the streets of of one of the the city that he was living in, and and his favorite old prostitute ran up to him and uh, started to get, you know, how do you say that in a sermon? I didn't actually think this one through. <laughs> Started to get friendly with, uh, with Augustine. <laughs> Note to self, practice this one next time before. <laughs> think through choice of words very carefully. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> that was the old self just kind of creeping back in again. So Augustine, is, is, this, this prostitute approaches Augustine and starts becoming friendly. And, 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 he, and he distances himself from her. And she says these words, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine replies, yes, I know, but it is no longer I. I love that. I love that story. Because that's what he he understood, that that, that his life had been transformed by coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And you read that verse and you, you almost think that Paul is contradicting himself. I was crucified, but now I'm alive in Christ. Well, Paul, what are, what, which one is it? Are you crucified or are you alive? The point Paul is making is there's two different eyes. The eye of the old man or the old self has been crucified with Jesus. And the eye of the new man or the new self has been raised by faith with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we we can get a little confused because this was a definitive moment. I've said the old self being crucified was a definitive moment. but, But as I've been trying to, I hope you've picked it up. Even though it's a definitive fact of history, we still cling on to the way it was. I come from a nation in South Africa where we made history or we made infamacy in the world because of our, the government's apartheid policies, which segregated generations and generations of black Africans as a consequence of white rule. And most of you know that uh, probably, what, 15, 15, 20 years ago, a law was passed, a signing of a document was passed, which abolished, which abolished apartheid in the stroke of a pen. But as much as it changed everything for so many people, at the same time, until that truth was lived out, it didn't change anything. Until people who were previously uh, held uh, under bondage and slavery because of that law, until they walked out the reality of that law or of of that ruling, nothing changed. And it's the same for us as Christians. Legally, you're in Christ. Legally, you've been set free. Legally, we're no longer the old man. But until we walk it out, nothing really changes. It's the same as marriage. And, I, and please don't think I've used a slavery example and a marriage example. I'm not suggesting <laughs> slavery and marriage are any, anywhere in the same, uh, in the same thing. But, but the marriage is, the, an example of, of marriage is just as powerful. A husband and a wife say, I do, on the day that they get married. And everything changes. But if you don't change in your heart, nothing changes either. You spend the rest of your life in marriage becoming what you already are because of what you said on the day that you got married. 
And that's the what essence of what Paul is getting to. John Newton, the, the author of Amazing Grace, that beautiful hymn, wrote this. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we, how do we put off the old? How do we take off the old? And how do we put on the new? Well, verse 23 tells us to, to be, that we are to be made new or to be renewed in the attitude of our minds. And it's the same thing. It's the same truth that Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2. I'm sure you're familiar with that verse. He says this. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Remember what I said in the beginning, the way we think, the what we believe determines our behavior. And we get transformed from these old people, these old self that was ab- that had thinking that was absent of Jesus and it was futile and it resulted in all of those bad things to now when our thinking is full of Jesus and our thinking is focused on Jesus and our minds is, are transformed and our lives change because of that. Friends, that's why we need to read the word. That's why we need to come to church on Sundays. That's why we need to be in Bible fellowships or connect groups. That's why you need to meet with your friends over coffee and, be in, and encourage each other in the Lord. Because you need to remind yourself of who you are in God and the way he thinks about you. My wife loves, my wife loves to, to hear, we hear it when I say, I love you. And now I'm a, I'm a mathematician and scientist by training, and so I'm very logical. And, and I have these moments where I can really express myself well. Anniversaries and birthdays, Debbie loves, because I, I, I can write poetry and I've got a bit of a creative side. But, but if, I'm, if I'm put on the spot, you know, Debbie will say, tell me why you love me. And I'll be like... <laughs> You know, you know those moments? I'm sure most of you know that what, exactly what I'm saying. But there'll be times when I'll spontaneously go up to her and I'll say, honey, I, I, I love you. And she'll say, well, I don't say honey, but I'll say babe, but everyone's going to tease me if I say babe. So, babe, I love you. And she says, she says, oh, tell me again. And I say, I say, babe, I love you. And she goes, oh, tell me again. And I say, babe, I love you. And this goes on for probably five or 10 minutes. I mean, it just goes on. But listen, this is the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. This is how we, this is how we renew our thinking. This is how we renew our thinking. We get into God's presence and we say, God, as I read this word, tell me that you love me. And he tells us that, that, that he loves us. And then we go to church and we say, God, just tell me again. When we, when we worship, tell me again that you love me. Tell me again who I am in you. And, and, and we feel God's presence. But we don't stop there because the next day we go to connect group. And we, as on the way, we go, God, tonight, would you, would you tell me again? Tell me again that you love me. Friends, that's how we change our thinking. It's armed with this truth. It's armed with this reality that we can start to put off the old self. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, gives this very aggressive statement. But friends, I don't want you to, to ignore the, the, the passion that needs to be developed between us and Jesus before we can work out 2 Corinthians 10. We demolish arguments 
that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is only possible if you know who you are in Jesus. It's only possible if you've heard God tell you over and over again, I love you, my son. I love you. You are in me. You are safe. You are secure. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. Because then when, when competing thoughts come, when the old man begins to rise up, we can say, no, no, no. That's not what my father says of me. We demolish that thought. We, we take it and we bring it under the authority of God's word. Because our minds are filled with the presence of God. And so in conclusion, Paul then takes some time in verse 25 to 32 to, to now help us understand what the new self looks like. How does this new self behave? How does this new self look? Well, let's read together and a couple comments in closing. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Friends, we, we need to learn to speak truthfully to each other, but importantly, truth in love. Not truth. Truth without love will be harsh. Love without truth will be sentimental. And both are just as dangerous. We need to speak the truth in love. And remember, we are members of, the one, of one body, Paul says. So if you, if you speak negatively against someone, can I tell you, you're actually inflicting damage on yourself. It's a self-inflicting wound if you're speaking negatively about someone else. Verse 28, he says, Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The ESV is so much more direct. I love it. Be angry, Paul says, but do not sin. And I think sometimes, if I can be honest, in our generation, there's an absence of right anger. There's an absence of good anger. There's an absence of righteous anger. There's a complacency and an apathy that I think sometimes resides in our culture and generation. Friends, can I be honest? Being a prophetic people, which we believe we are, necessitates us becoming angry at the right things. If we are to be this prophetic people God calls us to be. Augustine says this, hope has two beautiful daughters, courage and anger. Don't call your daughters courage and anger. Hope <laughs> has two beautiful daughters, courage and anger. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they don't remain that way. That's who we call to be. Verse 28, and he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Those who were, who were thieving, those who were, th who, who were stealing, those who were hoarding are transformed into generous givers by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to teach on this. There's so much to say in here, but, but simply to say, it's remarkable what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying you earn, you work to earn to give more away. You earn, you work to earn to, to give more away, to be more of a blessing. Verse 29, and don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial or that it may benefit those who listen. If it, if it undermines faith, and if it doesn't release the grace of God, I want to say, don't say it. And I say that to myself too. If it undermines faith, and if it doesn't release the grace of God, don't say it. Listen to Job chapter 4, verse 4. I love this. I, found, I read this this week. Job chapter 4, verse 4. Your words have put stumbling people on their feet. Put fresh hope in people about to collapse. 
I love that. And then verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I'm going to call Chris up in just two, two seconds, but I just wanted to close in prayer by uh, praying specifically for those of us, and I include myself in this prayer, who recognize there is hardness in our hearts at times. Maybe when I just use that illustration and I mentioned those, that, that, that the, the, the characteristic of hardness can be an inflexibility or, a, or, a, or an insensitivity or a lack of sensitivity to the voice of God. And I'm not asking you to put your hands up or come forward in any way right now. I just feel this is something between you and God that I want to just try and help facilitate and, and pray that, that God would soften our hearts by His, His, His Spirit. That, that even in this moment as I pray, if it hasn't happened already, even in this moment, I'm going to ask God that He would speak His worth and value over you. That you would say, even if you've heard it before today, even if you, even if you had an incredible time of worship as Nate and the team led us so wonderfully this morning, even if you heard God speaking His worth over you, can I ask you just in this moment to say, God, tell me again. Just, just tell me again. Tell me again that you love me. Father, we, we come before you as your children just so desperate, not for rules or do's and don'ts, not, not necessarily things to have to go and do, but Lord, we want our hearts changed. I want my heart changed. I want to hear again, Lord, just those words, Steve, I, I love you. You're my boy. Lord, speak, speak your, your love, speak your affirmation, speak your, speak, help people realize just again their identity in you. Help people know their position in you. Let, let these incredible truths drop from our, our heads into our hearts today, Lord. These things that we've been learning from Ephesians, Lord, we, we don't want to walk out here with a set of notes. We want to walk out here with changed hearts. That's what we're de- so desperate for. And so, Father, if there's any hardness in our hearts, if we recognize any hardness in our hearts. Lord, would you come right now and just soften that? Would you soften that area? Would you, we, we choose to bring that area under your lordship. We choose to submit that area under your lordship. And we ask for, for just that softening to take place. Just as you stay in this place, just receive from the Lord. Just stay in this place of, of receiving. I want to ask if there's anyone here today who may be visiting for the first time or you've come a couple times and you know that your heart is hard, your heart is hard to God because you've never received that heart of flesh that he promises to give us. You've never received Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. I would love to pray with you right now where you can just simply say, God, I want that heart of flesh. I want to, feel, I want to know my worth and identity. I want to know my true worth and identity. And it comes by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. Could you just lift up your hand so that I know that you're here? I'd love to lead you in a prayer where you can receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Does anyone want to respond to that? Just quickly lift up your hand so that I know. Thank you. Anyone else who would like to respond? Just lift up your hand. I'd love for you to pray this prayer. If you wouldn't mind just praying this prayer in your heart, just repeat after me, praying this prayer in your heart if you lifted your hand today. Father, thank you that you love me so much 
that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Jesus, I receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. I ask that you would come in to my heart and that you would change me and transform me. Thank you that today, by simply putting my faith in you, your word says I am a child of yours. I thank you that I'm saved. I thank you that I'm set free. And I pray that from this day forward, you would help me to take off those grave clothes. You would help me to take off that old self and become in practice all that you have called me to be. Thank you that you did this all for me, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you lifted your hand, can I ask that you maybe come forward and meet one of the guys up here up front? Chris is going to just talk about the ministry. It'd be great just to have a chance to, to say hi. Thanks, guys.